0: so that we can be a blessing, Father God, that you are blessing the people of this church so that they can be a light and a blessing to this community and to the world, Lord. I thank you, Father, for what you're doing. And Lord, for the message that we're going to be talking about this morning, I thank you that you are here and that you are speaking to our hearts. I thank you, Father God, that regardless of the words that I might bumble around with, Father God, that you speak to our hearts and you have something very special for each and every one of us this morning. The thing that we came here needing to hear from you. I thank you, Lord God, that you are so faithful. You are so good. We give you all the praise and honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good to see everybody. All right. Good morning. Welcome to Generations Church. Hallelujah. Didn't we have a great time last week on Easter Sunday celebrating the resurrection? We had a wonderful time. It was awesome. Um, and uh, congratulations, John. Uh, so Happy to just get to work with you and Miss John East and excited what we, we got in store and uh, that we're, we're going forward with that, and congratulations to John and Jeannie, uh, our John number two, right? John, it literally, he's, John Alexander is John A, and John Burns is John B. So we're moving from John A to John B. I mean, it's like, kind of like made in heaven, right? <laughs> now being led by John B. Very cool, very cool. Uh, the teens are having a... Uh, the, a, a fundraiser, and you, we, they want you to be a part of it. This Friday night, there's a movie, a uh, Whovie. A couple of weeks ago, you might remember if you were here, we showed a preview of that movie. It's going to be a great movie. It's going to be Friday night, 7 p.m., but you can buy your ticket this morning out in the North foyer. You. you can buy your ticket, or if you don't get it this morning, you can do it online, or you can even come on Friday night and buy your ticket right then, and it's a fundraiser. The proceeds are going to go toward our youth department, doing some awesome, they've got all kinds of plans. They are doing some good stuff, good stuff. All right, you have your Bible this morning? If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We're going to be putting scriptures on the, on the screen, and you can look at it up there. I thank you for joining us. We're starting a brand new series here, Generations, called FAQ, Real Answers to Life's Frequently Asked Questions. Amen, amen. I will do my best, sister. All right. When preparing for this series, this is kind of different. Uh, we went two different routes, um, we researched some of the biggest questions that people often have with God and church and life. And uh, there's, there's a lot of polls that have been done that you can look into. But we also looked, we asked around our own community, and we asked some of y'all, uh, among people that we know, what are the biggest conundrums That we have, that we all wrestle with, or or what are those questions most often asked of you by your neighbors? Things like that, that maybe you don't always have a simple answer to. You ever been asked something like that, and you kind of you know it like in your heart, but you put it into words, and you're just like, I don't know. There's a reason. I know there is a reason. Um, Now let me say this too. On these Sunday mornings uh, in this series, you may come every once in a while and you may say, well, this really isn't something I'm wrestling with. This wasn't one of my big questions. But I'm betting it is a question someone close to you is wrestling with, okay? So, and and just as valuable as, as you learning stuff Is you understanding things and being able to communicate those things well enough to talk openly and honestly, authentically and clearly with your neighbor, with your friends, your family members, uh, you know, without mumbling some kind of unhelpful bit about, you know, well, you know, God will never give you morning handle, you know, or something like that, Uh, which, by the way, is a Christian myth. That's not in the Bible. That scripture that you're usually referring to is 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, I believe, which is talking about temptation. God will not give you temptation more than you can handle, right? And that is true. But how many have ever had circumstances of life more than you can handle? Yeah, that's when we need God. We talked last week. God loves those situations because he gets to show up. So, yeah, you're going to get stuff more than you can handle. Um, so that's important to, to, to know. So... Uh, it, when you're talking to your neighbor and your friend and you're not sure of the answer, the, the problem that we often fall into is, is that really, really unhelpful thing we often tell people who've never been to church. Uh, you, you've never been to church, but just read this 2,000-year-old document that was written in Latin and Old English, and it'll all be really clear. Uh, right? Uh, that, that's really helpful, isn't it? Um, You know, uh, I'm not going to read it so I can explain it to you, but, you know, or walk through it with you, but you read it and have fun with that. So it's amazing what we, you know, ask people to do, um, just because we don't understand. So we think someone who doesn't go to church will surely understand it. Um, So come to these services, bring a friend, uh, take notes, learn, and, and you'll actually be positioning yourself to be a service to someone in your life. Right, And that's what I'm getting out of it too As, as I'm studying, it's, it's helping me Plus, I have a pretty good idea That some of us may not admit it But most of these questions are things That many of us in this room Are looking for answers to Okay, And then thirdly One of the values Of a, of a series like this Is that To be asking questions To be asking questions Is really to get to the heart Of who we are that's who we are. To be human is to be filled with questions. That doesn't make you weird. That makes you human, right? And in the end, let's be honest, sometimes the questions win. In the end, we'll find more answers sometimes. Sometimes we'll, we'll seek and we'll find answers, and those answers just raise more questions, right? And so then we go and we seek, and we find answers to those questions, And it raises more questions, right? And that continues on. It continues on. We keep doing that until the day we die from this life. And we die sometimes with that question in our mind, not the answer. But that's okay because that answer is ultimately waiting for that next moment when we take our first breath of heaven, right? And we go, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I get it now, right? And how many of us are going to go, oh, I get it oh, I got a lot of people I need to apologize to, <laughs> right? There's always more to be learned. That's what, that's what being a mature Christian is. Real maturity isn't knowing all the answers, all right? See, that's, that's another one of those Christian myths. Real maturity is really learning what the right questions are that we are to spend our time chasing, right? It is a quest, It is a question, right? What it means to be human is to live with questions, to value questions. And we see this as true in the Bible. We definitely see it in the teachings of Jesus. He was always asking questions. And so we want this to be something authentic and and true to our church community. Um, So when we do a series like this, really, we're, we're, we're being truly ourselves. When we do this kind of a series. It's what it means to be human, and even better, asking questions of what it is, what it means to be people of authenticity, to be humans of authenticity. It's part of the culture that we want to build here at Generations, our commitment. We want to build a safe place for spiritual seekers to come and ask questions, and spiritual seekers means all of us. Right? I'm not just talking about people who don't go to church. I'm talking about you and me. We're spiritual seekers. We're seeking after Jesus. So we want to build a safe place for us to come and ask questions. We want to be a community where dialogue, I'm sorry, where discipleship happens in dialogue, not just monologue. Right? So this is great. This is monologue. But this isn't the end of discipleship. Discipleship also happens in dialogue where we can talk to each other and ask each other this stuff. And joy happens, let me tell you this, when we throw our masks in the fire and get real with our questions. So that's what we want to be. That's what we want to be. And sometimes we just have to face it. We have to face it. No matter how much we study, how much we dig, we'll never satisfyingly answer every question. Because when you're human— the question often still wins. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians. He said, Now we see things, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now, this side of heaven, now it's all partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. That's beautiful. On that day, yes, on that day, perfect knowledge will flood my heart. But now, fundamental to Christian theology is is that we just don't know it all. Okay, Um, I was thinking about something C.S. Lewis one time said about the, the Lord's Supper. When Jesus sat there with his disciples... And he sat there and he's pulling out the bread and he's giving him the wine and he's telling him, This is my body and this is my blood. And the disciples are freaking out. They're like, I don't get this at all. But he told them, Take and eat. He'd never said, Take and understand. Just take and eat, right? And I think that's something important for us to remember. So we don't know it all, even when we act like we do, right, throughout much of history. So, so th- that right there is, is the big, long introduction to where we're headed over the next few weeks. So let's get to this week's topic, okay? We are kicking things off today with a question that I am most often asked. This is probably the number one. On the list of, hmm, sorry, most deeply held questions, it wasn't even close what number one was. Um, when I'm with my unchristian friends and neighbors, when I'm with Christians, this is still the question they most often have. Um, It's kind of the biggest cry of the heart, and it is, why does God allow evil? Why does God allow evil? And the question will take other forms. You've heard different forms of this question. Why does God allow so much suffering? Why do innocent people die early in this world? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? One of my friends this week, when uh, talking about what we're going to talk today, he texted me, what I want to know is, why do good things happen to bad people? Right? Man, the injustice of it all. (laughs) To which I, I would have to reply, I'm glad that good things happen to bad people, or I would have been out of luck. I would have never found God, I would have never found my wife. So it's it's probably good that good things happen to bad people. Um, but this is a problem that has boggled the minds of, of the most brilliant thinkers in and out of the church for thousands of years. Okay? So, of course, we're going to completely solve it in a half hour. <laughs> No, 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 no. Actually, what we're going to do is we're going to summarize it in this little time that we have, summarize some truths from Scripture. We're going to look at these. And what we may end up doing, if we do our job right, we might even, it, it might lead to ask, us asking other questions, okay? Which studying the Bible often tends to do if you're doing it right. Now, there's a lot of suffering in the world. There's a lot of of suffering and pain and evil in the world. The World Health Organization says that every day about 50,000 innocent people die of poverty-related issues, living conditions, sanitation, starvation, lack of water, etc. The WHO also says that one of the top 10 killers on earth is automotive accidents. Another of the top 10 killers is some form of cancer. That's something that's touched just about everybody in this room, either personally or someone you love. Cancer. So there are things that we can trace back to human choices, Then there's things that seem to be beyond human choice, natural disasters, things like that. What we call moral evil and natural evil. And the, pan- the, the answers that we come away with when we talk about these subjects, they don't necessarily, the, even the answers that we come up with, it doesn't necessarily make the pain we're experiencing go away. And that's why I love the words of Paul. And something we have to know about the Apostle Paul right off the bat is he did not have an easy life. Paul, this guy suffered. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was stoned. And not in the trippy way, right? Like with rocks. (laughs) He did not have an easy life. And yet he said, while sitting in prison, Paul said this. He's sitting in prison, been beaten. He says, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. That's a key will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. He says there is a peace from Christ Jesus that comes in the midst of suffering. Notice it's not a peace that comes from understanding. It's not because you studied it out really good, and now you get it, and now you have peace. It is actually a peace that is somehow beyond your understanding. It transcends your understanding. In other words... It is a peace that God gives even when you don't understand the whys. That's the peace that God gives. And my prayer for you today, for each of us today, is that God would grant some of you who are hurting right now, he would grant you a peace that passes understanding, it goes beyond understanding, because there are some whys that we just won't understand, Fully understand, at least not on this side of heaven. Now, pain and suffering, the problem of evil, as philosophers call it, no matter who you are, this is interesting. This is, this is a problem uh, that people deal with. You and I approach this problem. Most of us in this room uh, believe in God. We would call ourselves theists. We believe in God. So we approach this problem as people who believe in God. And uh, it's a philosophical problem for our atheist friends as well, really, um, I should mention, but it's a different kind of problem. For, for us, for theists, the question we ask might be, why does a good God allow so much evil? Fair enough? Why does a good God allow so much evil? Uh, For atheists, if we were like a conference of atheists uh, sitting here together and we were being honest, we probably would pose the question a little bit differently. We would say, why do we persist in thinking that anything is evil? Why do we keep saying things are evil? Because if there is no God, it's just a matter of nature, doing what nature does, right? Right? Natural random chance, survival of the strongest, survival of the fittest. That's just the evolution of life has shown us, you know, the strong eats the weak. That's just the way things are. It's not like evil. So why do we keep calling it evil? And yet something within us says, no, no, there are things that are just wrong. There are things that are unjust, There is injustice in the world, and where does that come from, and and what gives us that impulse as an absolute? So as Christians, we know there really is such a thing as evil, but then our burden is, we have to ask, then why does God allow it? Why does God allow suffering? Well, let me give you the the short answer in in one little sentence here, okay? We're... we'll unpack it in the few minutes we have left, we're already condensing like a very complex issue that should take us a whole semester to really study into a 45-minute message, and now we're going to condense it into a sentence. Here it is. Um, This is the best I got. Because God created us as image bearers of himself. He resists overriding our free will even when our poor choices have bad consequences. We're image bearers of God. See, from a biblical point of view, the blame for suffering lies more with us than it does with God. So God exists, He is real. He's created us in His image, in His likeness, to bear responsibility for the planet and for each other. And we have messed up royally. So you just have to look through. Human history, ancient history, recent, ancient, you can see the evil done by humanity to humanity and and to the rest of creation. And so the brutal truth is when we say, God, why? He says, I think you're pointing the finger in the wrong direction. A reporter asked uh, Mother Teresa one time, Mother Teresa, when a baby dies alone in a Calcutta alley, where is God? Mother Teresa said, God is there suffering with that baby. The question really is, where are you? God is there suffering with that baby. The question is, where are you? Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 7, it's what grows out of the hearts of people that leads to corruption. Right? Jesus says, people are really the source. And until we, we own up to that, we're, we're stifling our ability to be agents of change in the world. We're stifling our ability to be those people being changed by God to change the world. We have to own up to that. This torch, this touches on the, the core of, of who we were designed to be. As believers, our question needs to shift from why, God, why, to why aren't we? Why aren't we? Now, this is actually, this is a cool part. This is actually where atheists and Christians agree. Uh, we actually have this in common. When my atheist friends raise this issue, I'm able to say, you know what? The, the beautiful thing is that on this, both you as an atheist and, and I have this thing in common. We both believe God is not the problem. <laughs> We're in agreement. God is. Is not the problem The blame for evil is not on God God is not the origin of all this Now they believe he's not the origin of evil because he doesn't exist We believe he's not the origin because he does exist And he's told us very clearly that he's given us charge of things And so we agree that God's not to blame Now I'm a really visual person uh, you know, i I'm, i got to see things in a chart and a graph and, you know, see it on paper. So here's how I, I would draw this out in a napkin. If I was sitting at Starbucks with you trying to explain this to someone, it's a helpful little doodle. Maybe it'll help you. <laughs> if there's a God and he makes the world, so we have God, we have the world, and then we find that this world is full of terrible things, horrible, <laughs> awful things. Things we want to blame God for. So we look, sorry, Stephen. So we look at this world and and we say, well, God is to blame. Look, God made the world and, and there's all that stuff. He's obviously to blame. But of course, see, my atheist friend would come along and he would take God out of the equation. And guess what? You get rid of God, it's all still there. You haven't improved the world any by getting rid of God. When God is taken out of the mix, it doesn't make the world a better place to live. So here is where we agree, whether God is there or not there, he is not the source of the evil. Even when people do unspeakable things in the name of their God, it's not God that is the source of the evil. It's the evil of the human heart, right? So what Jesus says is, now, uh, it's... The, uh, let's see, what have I said here? Yeah, so it's the human heart radiating out from the source. Radiating out, that is the, the source of evil and creation. But what God does for us, if we put him back in the picture, is now he, uh, he, he helps us to, he impacts the human heart for change. So God impacts the human heart for change. And so that we who have caused the problem can now be part of the solution. Now we're part of the solution. (laughs) Right? Something better. Right? Something much easier to dance to. So God empowers the human heart to be part of the solution. This is what's beautiful here. See, we got ourselves in this mess. It was us. We got ourselves in the mess. And God doesn't just come along and clean it all up for us. But what he does do is he comes along and cleans us up and helps us so that we can work together to make change. This is what God does. Now, let me give you some scriptural context this morning so you know I'm not just kind of making this up. This is how it works out. Uh, it, It works its way out from the very earliest scriptures in the Bible. We see this story played out from Genesis 1 through Genesis 6. And we're going to look at a bunch of verses really, really quickly. I'm going to summarize them like crazy. So just take notes and, and and read them for yourself when you get home. We're also going to be taking some time, by the way, to kind of dig through this and, and just explore this a little more, these scriptures more, wrestle with these in our home Bible study on Thursday night. If you can join us, we're going to, it's going to be at 7 p.m. at Christian Stephanie Walsh's house. We have a great time in there. You can join us. It's called 2030. Uh, we have fun. We share a meal. We get to know each other. We study scripture. It's sort of the best thing ever. So... Uh, um, if that doesn't sound good to you, I, I can't do anything with you. So, but let's let's uh, let's quickly look at what Scripture says about who we are and how God has designed the world to function. In Genesis chapter one, verses twenty-six through twenty-eight, we learn, find out that God has made us. He's made us in His image and His likeness, and He's put us in charge. Right now, being in His image or His likeness means that we are made to love like God. God is love. We're made in his image. We're also given authority, it tells us, authority and or influence over the planet. We're to be these sort of servant rulers. We're servants to the planet, we're also rulers to the to the planet. We're not just another animal species. We're not just another animal species. We have to admit we have to admit that although we are a part of creation, we stand alone as very unique. We stand alone as having this creative power, this destructive power also. It's very unique to us, right? Lions and porpoises and monkeys don't have this creative power and this destructive power over the planet, right? So we have to take responsibility for that. Otherwise, we're just like, otherwise we just say, hey, we're just another animal, so whatever happens, happens, live it up, right? If we kill off another species, oh well, right? Um, But actually, no, the Bible says, no, you're a part of creation, but you're also elevated to a place of responsibility, right? I, yeah. God's image. We're God's image bearers to the world. In, in chapter 2, verse 5, God made nature to thrive with human care and creativity. In verse 7, we see that we're made from elements of creation and creator. This is a This is a wonderful mystery, that God makes us out of the dust, the dirt of the ground. In other words, okay, this gets trippy. He breathes life into the stuff of the planet that was already here, okay? You're not ready for that. But he also breathes into us his own spirit, his Ruach right? That's a cool word. Ruach. It's Hebrew. Um, And to be human is to be that meeting place of dirt and divinity. That is you. A very special thing. Neither animal nor angel. Something unique in the world. There's something special about you that isn't the same as anything else in creation. In verse 15, Chapter 2, we're made to serve and to take care of the rest of creation. And in uh, chapter 2, verse 18, it says we're made for loving relationship. It's not good for man to be alone. We're made to live in relationship. In verse 19, God even allows Adam to exercise his own creativity. And it's fascinating, this story. One of the first things God tells Adam is, hey, go off and start naming the animals, Just start naming them. Uh, Enjoy your creativity. And Adam just goes to it, right? And he's just coming off with all kinds of crazy stuff like duck build, platypus and hippopotamus, right? And it's just God's like, hey, see 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 my my man? He's pretty good. And by the end of the day, he's getting tired, and he's like, dog. God's like, okay. God's like, that's my name spelled backward. That's trippy. That's cool. Right? Adam's like, cat. God's like, we didn't make those. Uh, Sorry. So... He's allowing this new image bearer of God to be creative. It's why you were created, to be creative. And of course, this is why human beings, when we choose the way of evil, that creative power becomes incredibly destructive power because we're, we're created creative, creatively. Uh, chapter 3, verse 17, we find out that our sin affects creation. We find out that because Adam is this amazing combination of dirt and divine. When we make ethical choices, when he made his ethical choices, they begin to affect all of creation. In Genesis, we see thorns and thistles began to grow out of the ground because of the ethical choices Adam made. Now today, we can directly influence and affect the planet through our choices. We can pollute. We can kill off species. But what the Bible is saying is that even our ethical choices among human beings, our our acts of anti-love, those choices put us spiritually and put the creation spiritually out of sync. It puts all of creation out of sync, and creation begins to suffer because of our ethical choices. In Romans... Uh, Paul puts this in a really beautiful way. He tells us that creation, ever since this moment, has been groaning, moaning, and that it's off its course, that creation feels the pain of our decisions. So, in this sense, we're not only talking about moral evil that's what philosophers call the evil that we do by choice to each other but also natural evil can be traced back to this sin pollution. Natural evil. And after the fall of man, we've been butting heads with God ever since. In chapter 6, when you get there, you get to the flood narrative of Noah. What a fascinating, fascinating story. It says that things got to the point where we were treating each other so terribly that God regretted us. He regretted us, who we were becoming. The Hebrew in that that word is actually the word for repent, repent. God repented to himself for who we had become. And you have this strange story, and it, and it is, it's frankly really troubling in a lot of ways, but it's also really full of hope because he judges the planet while at the same time rescuing a seed of humanity. He could have just wiped everything out. He could have just said, I'm done. I'm done with Earth. Let's start over with Mars. We'll figure out something there. Right, But he rescues us. He, he doesn't give up. He persists with us. And he keeps persisting with us. After the flood, we get off track again. And he gives us the law, which are lots of rules throughout religious history. And he, the, the law, he, he like builds this kind of moral shield around his people to keep us on track. And we kept you know bucking up against it. And he sends his prophets to try to reveal his heart. And then finally, finally he rolls up his sleeves and he comes down as one of us. And he teaches us how to live by showing us his heart, showing us how to live, showing his humanity in the form of Christ. And he does all of this to move us in the direction that we should go without overriding our free will. That's key. So, when confronted with Suffering in the world, we're confronted with suffering. A question people often ask is, why doesn't God intervene more? Why doesn't he do more? There are several answers we might give. Standard answer number one is God does intervene, just not in the way you want. In countless invisible ways, God brings comfort, etc. And that's beautiful. And I think it's true. I think we could say more. Standard answer number two, God intervenes as much as possible. If He intervened any more, He would overthrow our freedom to choose. And I think there's truth in this also. But I think we could take this even further as well. So where I am at this point in my life, my study, I don't know it all, but here's where I am at this point. I would say my best biblical answer right now is this. Actually, God often intentionally intervenes less than we'd like because he has given us the role of taking care of each other. That does not mean that God does not intervene, right? He does. He heals. He delivers. He saves. Just last week, we looked at an example. You know, Jesus raised Lazarus out of the grave. That is a serious intervention, right? Lazarus needed an intervention. Dude, Lazarus, you know, all your friends and family are here. You've been dead for four days. We've got to do something about this. And they have an intervention, and and Lazarus gets raised from the dead. So God does intervene. I don't know where that came from. Anyway, He does. Throughout history, throughout my life, probably in your life, You have seen God's intervening, that miraculous, where it's that miraculous stepping into nature, stepping into the natural course of things where God steps in and he does something outside of nature. We call it the supernatural. God does intervene. But I wonder if that is more the exception than the rule. Because what we actually see in Scripture, the pattern that God has is this we see God's commitment to intervening by challenging the human heart, by calling us as His image bearers to partner with Him. To free His people out of Egypt, He called a man, Moses. All throughout history, we see these examples over and over in the Bible where He called a man, where He called a woman to obey him, and to put his will into action, right? So that is what we see. We see his commitment to intervening by challenging the human heart, calling us as his image bearers to partner with him. This is why very often, think back to some time when God really came through in your life recently. Think back. Very often, your prayer is answered, and your miracle comes in the form of, I'm an obedient human being. How often does that happen? Someone stepped up. That was no less a miracle of God than if you had found money in the mouth of a fish, right? But that's how God works. And really, isn't this exactly what you would expect from a God who's really into relationship? God commits to work through us to make change, He's given us this planet. He's made us in his image. And he offers to remake us through Christ and give us his Holy Spirit. Now, it's our move. It's our move now. So, could God step in and stop every natural disaster and act of suffering? Just tinker with everything. Just, just keep it all from happening. Could he step in and do that? Yeah. Yeah, he could. Does he? No, he doesn't. Instead, he calls upon us to be his hands and feet in the world. He calls upon us to be the hands and feet of love and compassion and taking care of his people and of the planet and of hurting in our circles. And he's not detached. He's not just, he didn't just create everything and float off and leave us on our own. On the contrary, God is intensely about relationship. He is the God of intense relationship. Remember, we said a week or so ago, his primary motivation in your life isn't necessarily the same issues that you're often preoccupied with, but rather, who are you becoming? You remember that? Who are you becoming? And to, to that end, rather than step in and prevent every instance of evil in the world, instead, what does God do? He desires relationship with us. He wants to work through us and in us and with us. His image bearers, that is you, to bring love, peace, and compassion to other people. He wants to work through you. So maybe today, the better question, maybe, maybe we've raised ourselves a better question. Instead of getting stuck on why do bad things happen to good people, maybe there's a better question we can ask ourselves and that is why what do good people do when bad things happen what if this is the better question what do good things do when bad things happen maybe that's more appropriate for us as disciples of Jesus in a fallen world that's what we are disciples of Jesus in a fallen world i just got to get over i just got to accept that so i want to leave you with some tools today that maybe you can start using you can start using this morning to start this journey away from why, why God, why, and toward the peace and the freedom that comes when we partner with God to be his image bearers in the world, okay? So what, what do good people do when bad things happen? Here's three ways you can go on the offensive. Three ideas. Well, number one, remind yourself, you are not alone in your suffering, you are not alone in your suffering. We've all suffered loss. And this is really helpful for us to remember. This seems like kind of one of those, well, duh, but this is helpful for us. You know what it's like. I know what it's like. You know what it's like when you're in that position, when it happens to you? You don't feel like, oh, everyone's suffering with me. You feel totally alone in your suffering. Suffering is intensely personal, Right? But we have to remind ourselves, suffering didn't start on the earth when it happened to you. It's been happening from the moment Adam said, Hmm, you're right, this is tasty. Right? It's been happening ever since. And the thing that happened to you this morning happened to someone else yesterday, back when you were convinced God was good. Right? It didn't start with you. So the enemy's greatest weapon, one of his greatest weapons, boy, we see it, so many people, precious people who who come and, and they're desperate. But his greatest weapon is whispering to people that you have been singled out and you are totally alone in your pain. Because then what he can do is isolate you and get you to suffer in silence. When you're alone, you suffer in silence. And so we worship a God who knows exactly what you're going through because he is Emmanuel, God with us. He knows exactly what is happening with you. He has suffered here on this earth. He isn't distant. He can relate to you. He's right here. He can relate to exactly what you're going through. And this knowledge is what sustained those first Christians in the first century. It sustained them they, who, who were enduring hardship and torture for believing in Jesus Christ they could be thrown in prison and beaten and still say things like, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor e- angels or demons or present or future powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in this creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This was said by people being beaten and thrown into prison. Their family members executed. Nothing's going to separate us from the love of God. So remind yourself, you're not alone. Number two. Choose how you will respond to suffering and pain. We can choose. I've seen it so many times. It's fascinating. I'm always amazed. There'll be two people, same set of circumstances, same tragedy happens to both, and, and one gets bitter and one gets better. One runs away from God and one runs toward God. The same You have the ability to choose. Uh, A man named Viktor Frankl, he's a writer. He was a Holocaust survivor. He endured and suffered through things that we can't even hardly fathom. And yet he wrote this. He wrote, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. He, He talked about how his captors those Nazi captors could do anything they wanted to the outside, but they couldn't touch his inside. His freedom to respond. You can choose how to respond. And when you are in this trust filled relationship with God, when it's based on trust, when you choose to turn to Him, no matter what is happening on your outside, you can have victory on the inside. Amen? You choose how to respond. Will you be bitter? Or will you throw yourself into worship of the God who loves you and cares for you and he knows your pain? Number three, trust God to bring things around for your good. Trust in God to bring things around for your good. We have this amazing promise in Romans eight twenty eight that in all things that God is able to work it out for our good. He doesn't cause the suffering because he's a good God. And that doesn't mean that suffering is good Right, God is good. He he comes to deliver us from the suffering. And he alone can redeem and restore what has been lost. In James chapter 1, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When When you run into the arms of your loving Father... He can turn your pain into perseverance. That's what happens to our pain in his hands. The very thing that we thought would destroy us can can become the thing that is a, a catalyst for our growth, that can make us grow up. And so we trust him. And we worship him in the midst of the pain, in the midst of it. And even more incredible is when your journey through the difficulties of life, can bring hope to other people. That is a beautiful thing to see in your own life. Second Corinthians 1.4 says, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. He comforts us to be a comfort. We're being changed by God to change the world. And he comforts us so that we can be his image bearers and that we can be the comfort to other people. We can be his hands and feet. Pain, it's, it's part of the human condition. It really is. Jesus even promised his followers in John sixteen thirty-three, last scripture, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus said it. Pain's out there. But then Jesus went on to say, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. The end of a chapter in your life, however painful, doesn't mean the end of the story of your life. It's the end of a chapter. God gets the final word. Amen? And listen, one last little thing here, and then we'll land this plane. Don't push people away. Who, When you're in pain, don't push them away. Because the people who love you, that's Jesus in the flesh. Sometimes we, we get to sense the presence of God in that very supernatural, wonderful way, and in the form of the Holy Spirit. And that's beautiful. That's beautiful. But the way that God often touches you is through the love and compassions, a compassion of your brothers and sisters right here. So let them. Let them have compassion for you. Don't put on a mask and pretend it's all going fine. Amen? Listen, and may you be ready every single day to be God's instrument of love to somebody else. Are you glad you came to church today? Amen. All right. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward right now. And uh, I'm going to pray for you in just a second. But as the prayer partners are coming, let me remind you, these guys want to pray for you. And if you have any need going on, any uh, pain going on in your life, any kind of suffering going on in your life, maybe you just have a question that's, that's you, you need someone to just believe with you that God's got an answer for. You've got uncertainty in your life. You've got a big decision to make this week come forward. Let these guys pray with you. They're people of faith. And it's not the same when we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord God, for my friends who came this morning and we're seeking after you. We love you, Lord God. We thank you that you are faithful. We thank you, Lord God, that you have made us image bearers of you in this world, Father, and you're giving us to play father we're not just worthless down here waiting to die father you've given us something amazing to do to represent you to the world to be love and compassion for other people and we thank you father god that you open up our hearts and open up our eyes to see the hurting going on right around us lord god help us not to be blind to it or turn our back to it but to embrace it because that's when we are being truly who we were created to be we thank you father for your goodness and your mercy in jesus name we pray amen Amen. Hey, after service now, we're going to go celebrate. Be sure and grab some cake. We're going to be having a little reception in the foyer out there for John and Johnny's for all the wonderful things that they've done. We love you guys. Y'all have a wonderful week. Bye-bye.